Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Welcome to another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, and I'm glad to be with you today. In the studio with me today are Mick Wells and Vicki Cundiff. And Vicki is going to be taking the lead for today's program, which I love the title, Vicki. It's called Born Again, I Didn't Get It Right the First Time. I don't know how you came up with that, but I'd love to hear the story behind that. But more importantly, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Well, I, you know, they used to have the family Christian bookstores. And so I'd go in there and browse around the sweatshirts and the t-shirts, and I found this sweatshirt that actually had that statement on it, born again, I didn't get it right the first time. And that's really an attention grabber, isn't it? And at the bottom of it was a reference, John 3, 3, that tells us we must be born again. And so I had that uh, sweatshirt. Um, But, you know, that statement, being born again, can be confusing to people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They might ask, well, how in the world can you be born again? You know, we know how we're born the first time. And so, you know, they might say, well, how is that possible? And I can personally relate. I didn't grow up in the church. I had no idea I needed to be saved until I was a young adult. And it just really caught me off guard when I found out that I wasn't ready for heaven. I thought I would just, I believed in God. I was going to go to heaven. So I'm saying that to say that there are people out there like me, probably a lot of people like me, that have no idea that they need to be born again, like the scripture says. And so it's common lingo in the church. You know, once you get in the church and we talk about being saved, being born again. And so as a church, we just need to get the word of God out there to people, understanding that there are plenty of people that don't know what this means. And so that's what this program is all about. I believe that God laid this on my heart for us to get together and talk about this subject today. And so naturally, we're going to be in John 3 because Jesus said those words, you must be born again. And so let's read the scripture and then we'll discuss it. And so John uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to drop drop down and read 15 through 18. So Mick, you're going to start, right? Yes, I'm reading um, these verses from the New Living Translation. The word says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. 
God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Okay, so in this scripture, we see that there at the beginning in verse 1, the scripture mentions a man named Nicodemus. It tells us that he's a Jewish religious leader and that he's a Pharisee. So what was the role of the Pharisee in the Jewish religion? They were one of the um, parties, if you want to call it. It was kind of a political party within the church. That would never happen today, would it? <laughs> but uh, the there were there were three basic parties. There were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, and there were the Essenes. The Essenes were the ones who a lot of people haven't heard of because they were pretty small. The Pharisees were the more legalistic um, sect at that point, and they also were the ones who. Um, did believe that there was an afterlife, that there are spirits, that there are demons, that there are angels, things like that. The Sadducees didn't believe in those kinds of things. From what I could tell from research, the the term Pharisee itself means, quote, separated one. In other words, they kind of sequestered themselves off to the side and uh, from society so they could study and teach the law, but they they also separated themselves, unfortunately, from common people because they considered common people religiously unclean. Yes, they did. So I guess we could say they were scholars, you know, mm-hmm. and they were well respected uh, amongst the people, especially amongst themselves. Yes, especially amongst <laughs> themselves. <Yeah. laughs> and so it's interesting here. Uh, that he came to see Jesus after dark. Uh, Jesus often taught in Jerusalem, the surrounding areas, him being a Pharisee, a, 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 you know, Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. Couldn't he have talked to him during the day? You'd think he had enough clout that he could have, not that Jesus cared about clout, but you'd think at some point that he could have uh, got with him and talked to him. Instead, he comes after dark. Why do you think that's significant? Well, I think that uh, he's obviously wanting to uh, shield the fact that he was meeting with Jesus from from other Pharisees. I mean, as I just mentioned, he's supposed to be separated, and here he is in a clandestine manner uh, meeting with somebody that uh, the other Pharisees might frown on him associating with. Yeah. And maybe it would be like um, he would get distracted because of that, because he'd be more worried about what his, quote, peers were thinking about him, end quote, you know, peers, end quote. Um, Because I could just see wanting to really know something, wanting to really learn, maybe going to Jesus and saying, tell me more about this Mm -hmm. without those people who are the, quote, experts, end quote. That's why I wanted to do the, quote, end quote, Um, because they, quote, know best because they are, uh, scholars, they've studied in these things, and why are you going to this person who doesn't know as much as we do? And instead of having those people along with him, he just wanted to go straight to Jesus to hear from Jesus, and maybe going during the day would have just simply prohibited that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But they also had, there was plenty of the Pharisees that absolutely hated 
Jesus. And I think if we really think about it, it goes back to John the Baptist, because John the Baptist would call them out on their stuff, too, you know, as far as how they were treating people. And remember in the Scriptures, he told them to repent, you know, to actually tell these Pharisees, you need to repent. And so here Jesus comes along, and they're irritated with him because he's out telling the truth, too. And I think it might have taken the spotlight away from them as well as much, because people are flocking to Jesus by the thousands. They want to hear him preach, and they want to see the miracles and all these things. And so I think that you guys are right in this. And I think also he's drawn to Jesus, kind of go along with what you were saying, mm-hmm. uh, Pete. He's, he seems to be really drawn. He, he wants to know more. Look in the scriptures there on that first verse. He said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Well, that's not what all the Pharisees thought, right? Yep. Some of them just hated his guts. They, they, they eventually wanted to kill him. You know, it took him a while, but uh, they did uh, not. Well, he gave up his life, but we won't go down that road. But anyway, he said, uh, we know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And so he saw all that. He's drawn. He wants to know more. Isn't that the way we were in a sense when we started learning about Jesus and we wanted to we started feeling drawn to him? You know, we wanted to know more. And uh, that's the first step. You know, the Bible tells us that God has to draw us uh, in order to be saved, has to draw us to Jesus. And so it looks like he's really drawn. He, he respects Jesus' authority that he's teaching in. He sees all the miracles. He knows there's got to be more than this. And so he's not only trying to figure out more of what he believes, I think he's trying to figure out who he is, you know. And uh, so we see here that John, we know he hasn't recorded an entire conversation, right? There had to be a lot more that was discussed that night. But the Bible gives us what we need to know. And uh, I think we can recognize that as we do these programs or as preachers, and we see that we can take a, a, a section of Scripture like we are tonight, and God can have us focus on one thing, and you take that Scripture the next time, and you are you got a different audience or whatever, and now you're on something else. So the Bible has given us what we need to know, even though we didn't hear the entire conversation. And so Jesus just kind of really gets to the point. He knows Nicodemus's heart, doesn't he? And so he says to him in reply, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And I like Nicodemus's answer. It'd be like in today's world, he'd be going, what? <laughs> you know, how can, he says, well, he's so confused. He says, how can a, a, an old man go back into his uh, mother's womb and be born again? Now think about this. He's, we just talked about what the Pharisees know. He's a religious a follower of God. He knows God. And now he's finding out there's something something else that I need. I need to be born again. He absolutely did not understand. Been there and done that, as I said earlier. You know, I didn't understand that either. And, uh, and so let's look at this uh, Jesus' answer here uh, in verses 5 and 6. And, uh, and we'll talk about the spirit aspect of it uh, first. Um, in 5 and 6, it said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And so we know how human beings are born, right? So what is the Scripture's meaning here to be born again by the Spirit of God? Well, I think that uh, <clears throat> the nature of uh, coming to Christ we're told that the Holy Spirit indwells, will indwell us, mm-hmm. and he's a counselor according to the Scripture. So he gives us uh, the godly insights to interpret the Scripture so that we can live godly lives. And, and until we 
believe on Jesus, we don't have that uh, within us. So I, I think it's a, a watershed event through the Holy Spirit guiding us and teaching us with, as only he can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to remember <clears throat> that we are all born with a sinful nature. But Jesus is referring to our spiritual self. When we are born again, we don't become a new person physically. We become a new person spiritually. And so he's saying that within our spirits, we need to be born again. We need to stop looking to self for answers. We need to start looking to the Holy Spirit living within us for answers. Yeah, that reminds me of the scripture from 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, and the new life has begun. So we get born again through the Spirit. And I think this is a perfect place to take a pause right now for our sponsor, and we will be right back with the second part of today's episode of Reconciling Grace. So we're back with Reconciling Grace, and we've been discussing what it means to be born again using the scriptures from John chapter 3, and we were discussing what it means to be born of the Spirit of God, and we had just used the scripture that said, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, the old is gone, and the new life has begun, And, and that's really what it means to be born of the Spirit. But Jesus illustrated uh, the example for us. He said there in verse 7, he said, Don't be surprised when I say to you to be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, and just as you hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And so I think that's a great illustration, isn't it? Because the wind, we can't see it, just like we can't see God, but we feel it. We can feel it blowing on our face. We can see the. We can feel the presence of it. Um, we see the evidence of it. We can see, I, I was driving thinking about the scripture, and there was a flag blowing in the wind, the American flag blowing in the wind. Sometimes it's destructive, the wind is, but we can see the evidence of it. And so that's how it is uh, with the Spirit. We feel God. We sense His presence. We can't see Him, but we feel it. And we see the evidence of His work in our life. And the miracles that He does in our own life, we see His evidence uh, in the world. So I think that's a great example Uh, that he gave us. Um, But it also said that we must be born uh, of water. And so what does the water symbolize? We know that it's it's like it's a reference to baptism. Uh, The water or the act of baptism doesn't save us, but it's a symbolic act. What does it symbolize when we get saved? It doesn't save us, right? But what does it mean? It's a cleansing. When you're talking about baptism, it's a cleansing. It's showing that we have been cleansed um, through the the washing, uh, actually, of the blood of Jesus, but the water symbolizes purity and cleansing. I think it's a, a purposeful act of a new Christian to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It just represents that cleansing that we need. We know only Jesus can cleanse us of our sins and save us, but the water does represent that uh, as well. And so there's a, a scripture from 1 John 1, 9, and uh, John, the apostle John, had written uh, 1 John. And so he would, had been talking about how we were all sinners, 
and uh, he said, you know, you're a liar if you if you think you've never sinned. And so everybody, as Pete referenced earlier, everybody has has sinned, and the Bible says, fallen short of the glory of God. And so, but then he says in one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if we look at that, we see that we have to recognize that we're a sinner, that we're born in sin, and we have to confess that. We have to know that we're going to need Jesus to save us from our sins. We come to that place in our life where we we realize that and we confess that, that we're a sinner. And what happens when we confess and and repent of our sins, which means a turning away from them. We recognize that we're sinners. We're sinning against God. And repentance actually means a turning away, you know, turning away from mm-hmm. that life and not living in it any war, anymore. And what does it say? As soon as we confess, He's faithful. He's just. He will forgive us of our sins, but He also purifies us from all unrighteousness. So we can see that new birth in there that is coming and that cleansing act that we are uh, experiencing, that cleansing from sin that only God can give, born of the Spirit, uh, uh, to purify us from all unrighteousness and that turning away uh, from sin. And so it's miraculous, isn't it? I know it was miraculous in my own life, mm-hmm. uh, and we've all experienced that here, but only God can do that. And so um, Jesus is letting us know that we're not just going to die and go to heaven, because as I referenced earlier, that's what I thought in life, and I was shocked when I was told differently. And so that was uh, just more of Jesus telling me what I needed until I come to find Him as my Lord and my Savior. So the Bible says here we must be born again by the Spirit in order to receive eternal life. But then we referenced those scriptures earlier. We read them in 15 and 16 that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so why is believing in Jesus at the heart of the salvation, of our salvation? Well, I think it goes to the whole idea of repentance, Because to me, the essence of sin, if you really think about it, if you dig down to what is sin, what is the basis of sin, it is selfishness. It is, I want my way. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They wanted their way instead of God's way. And every sin that we commit is basically because we want something for ourselves. We want it on our own. So to repent means, as Mick alluded to before, means a change of mind, a turning around. When we turn around, we are turning around, we are changing our mind and saying that the only way to God is through Jesus. And in John fourteen six, Jesus did say this. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So that's why believing in Jesus is at the heart of salvation, because he is the way. He provided that way through his death and resurrection. I I think the key is is, uh, the gospel is is simple, and we are to come in childlike faith. And believing is the linchpin, as far as I can tell. The very heart of the gospel only requires a childlike faith, Uh, I'd like to share with you just something quickly here from a a teacher I respect. He says there are probably over 150 New Testament passages which singularly condition a lost person's salvation upon belief alone in Christ. Belief is a synonym for faith or confidence or trust in God's provision. The moment a lost person exercises trust in Christ is the moment he's saved. Yep, I agree 100%. Amen.
John 3.16 is a very familiar scripture to so many people. Uh, even people that have not yet received Christ as their Savior, they've, they've heard that scripture or they've seen it somewhere. Uh, and it tells us that uh, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so you can read there between the lines then that if everyone who believes receives eternal life, then everyone who doesn't believe will not receive eternal life. And in the book of Mark, it even says so without reading between the lines. It talks about, uh, Jesus says, everyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Everyone who does not believe will be condemned. Mm -hmm. Yes, and he also said in Luke chapter 13, verse 5, when he was preaching, he just simply said, repent or perish. And so it's very important that we repent of our sins and, and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And of course, perish is a reference to hell. And Matthew 10, 28 says, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. And so, you know, hell's not what God wants for us, right? Yeah. I mean, we know that he's done everything possible to show himself to us. I mean, the, we just read the scripture, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. We have the Bible as the Word of God. We have the church in the church age that we live in. And so God has really done everything possible to try to show himself to us and so that we can uh, believe in him as our Savior. And so that leads us to these verses in 17 and 18 where the Scripture says that we in John 3, God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. So there's no judgment for those who believe, right? And so what is the Scripture meaning when it says uh, anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged? I think it kind of goes back to what I mentioned before about we are all born with this idea of wanting to be self-sufficient. So if we haven't believed in Jesus, we are by default believing in self as the way to be able to attain salvation or the way to be able to attain God. And so if we haven't believed in Jesus, we are therefore not saved. Right. And I was just thinking, too, in eternity, when we pass into eternity— However that happens, there should be no surprises for anybody because people will recognize whether they accepted Jesus and believed on him for salvation or not mm -hmm. and whether judgment is awaiting them, in judgment in the sense of uh, condemnation for eternity. And I think this scripture is so important. I keep going back to remembering my own belief and not knowing that I needed to be saved. So I wouldn't have looked at this scripture, I wouldn't know this scripture, but I wouldn't have looked at it and thought that I was judged. I mean, a lot of us already know, like you're saying, I think that's a good point. But I thought, I really thought, and my family did, we just grew up believing that we were going to go to heaven because we believed there was a God. And, you know, when I got uh, saved and even preaching that myself, and then they were the first, you know, then they started believing that too and seeing that, like, I, you know, having to go through that same thing of process, I guess I want to say, of believing that. And so um, we do have to be born again. We do have to come to that place. But I don't think that everybody always 
uh, understands that. And that's why it's so important for the church, like I said earlier, to explain what it means to be born again, to know like the scripture is, is saying that God sent his son into the world to save us. You know, we're already judged, as, as you pointed out, uh, Pete. And so we're already, you know, judged, but sometimes we don't know that yet. Um, and so we just need Jesus, don't we? Mm-hmm. And so um, the scripture is just letting us know, you know, Nicodemus had come in the night and he come to try to uh, understand more about Jesus and to be saved. And that's really the journey that I was on. You guys were on that journey, too, at one point where you're trying to find uh, the information that you need. You know, you don't realize it at your time, the time. But if I look back over my life, and, and I've, I've done this before where I've stopped to consider what life was like and how God was really always with me. And He has let me know that in my spirit, I, I was always with you. I was always trying to lead you along to get you to believe. And and uh, in my testimony and, and different times when I uh, have led things or discussed things here in the radio program, I've kind of alluded to that, uh, just how God led me along in different ways to help me to see that I needed Jesus. And I have to believe that people that are hearing what we're talking about today uh, on the radio or whether they listen to it on podcast. You know, maybe uh, they've been thinking about that as well. And so, you know, they have an opportunity even now uh, to accept Christ as their Savior. And if there's just anyone out there uh, that God is, as they're listening to this and and God is uh, revealing to them of their need uh, for salvation, it's just like the Scripture said, if we will confess our sins, realize we're a sinner, and confess our sins to Jesus, realizing that He's the only way, He is the truth and the life, he said, he's the only way that we're, any one of us are ever going to make it to heaven, that it's not about self, it's, a, it's about him. And just to confess our sins, just, it's just so simply just to go to him, talk to him like you would anyone else, and recognize your sin, and just ask him to forgive you of your sins and invite him into your heart. He will do that. The scripture said so, didn't it, guys? Absolutely. And you know, it doesn't matter where you are. You know, a lot of people have gotten saved in church, going up to an altar, I got saved as a child when I came up to a person in their living room because they were having vacation Bible school in their living room. Um, I gave my entire life to Jesus Christ as a college sophomore in the top bunk of a triple bunk when I was talking to Jesus. I know of one person, I will not say who it was, who was a young child talking to his dad about Jesus while his dad was waiting for him to get out of the stall in the bathroom in the restaurant. And that's where he gave his life to Jesus. So I don't care where you are right now, listeners, if you are sensing God's call, you can give your life to Jesus right now. That's true. I was in my living room. What about you, Mick? I was five years old and at the altar in my dad's church <laughs> long time ago. So God is just always drawing us, isn't he? Just like he drawed Nicodemus, and he's always drawing us as well. But Nicodemus had to come to Jesus, right? And we have to come to him in order to receive salvation. And again, if you have not asked Jesus into your life, it's this simple. It's say, Lord, I want to stop going my way. I want to turn around. I want to change my mind. I want to go the way of Jesus because Jesus is the way to God the Father. Jesus, come into my life. Let me go your way instead of my way. And if you pray that, Jesus has promised 
that he will come in. He says that I stand at the door and knock. If anyone answers, I will come in. And that's what this is about, folks. This is reconciling grace. Jesus reconciles us to God the Father through his grace. So, Mick Wells, I want to thank you for joining us today. Vicki Cundiff, thanks for leading this today. This is Pete Vecchi, and we are here for you with Reconciling Grace. If you want to contact us, please send us an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. May the Lord bless you. Lord willing, we will see you next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace.